rather than projecting what you think your client or customer needs, you need to spend time listening to them. You need to ask questions. You need to find out where they come from. Because if I buy something, it means I have to change. If I change something, that could create a problem. I have to see enough positive from the change, enough opportunity to want to make that change. Too often sales reps, sales managers, think that they know what their customer needs or wants. They're missing the point. Hey, welcome back to Stop Killing Deals. This is the follow-up episode on the topic of cognitive biases. In the last episode, we interviewed Professor Carrie Morwedge on this fascinating topic. And today, we will be talking to Howard Brown. Howard is the founder and CEO of RingDNA. And he has a very fascinating background because he's also a former clinical psychologist. So he has a very good understanding about how people think and how you can really get into people's minds to help them and help them help themselves. So without further ado, welcome, Howard. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Great to have you on the show. Uh, last time we had Carrie Moorwedge with us, and he's a professor, and he has been researching the topic of cognitive biases. And I'm going to show just a quick screen here um, on all the different cognitive biases that have been researched. I'm sure there are more, but just to give you a, uh, or the viewers here a, an overview, there are many of these cognitive biases. And as discussed in the previous episode, the idea and the brain is trying to use heuristics to, to make it easier and quicker for us to make decisions. But sometimes, these cognitive biases can trip us up. So today, I thought Howard and I are going to talk about what this means for salespeople, sales leaders, and business leaders. How can we help our people understand how these cognitive biases can trip us up, how they can help us, how it relates to our uh, people working in our company, but also to the buyers, right? So maybe I start off with a question to you, Howard. Are there any of these cognitive biases that you would say you, you bump into more often uh, than others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you nailed it. There, the process of heuristics, right, is the idea that if I if I use the part of my brain to look at patterns, recognize patterns, it will reduce the mental effort needed to make decisions. It will, it will simplify complex and difficult questions. Um, it will help me make fast and accurate uh, conclusions or come to conclusions. It helps with problem solving. But like most parts of human beings, we're complex. And sometimes mm-hmm. that complexity creates the problems we're trying to avoid. For example, your body has an immune response to something that's being introduced into it. Um, You may get sick, your allergies may take hold, you produce um, a a reaction to that to 
try and fight it off, but the reaction is too strong. And by doing that, you actually become more ill. You have inflammation. You have all of those sorts of problems. Same thing with cognitive biases. Your heuristics are at work to try and make quick decisions, decrease the load on your brain. Um, but then you're stuck with, wait a minute, I'm pattern recognizing. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to come to quick decisions, but lo and behold, that intuition that we think is supposed to come to a better decision, in fact, acts against us in many cases. So the internet's supposed to help us problem solve, come to quick um, answers, in fact, is no more relevant than collecting data, taking some time, and then coming to more, well, better decisions. And so, you know, to answer your question, I think the one that most people think about is confirmation bias, right? It's yep. the idea that I have an idea in mind, I have the answer, and I start looking for data to prove I'm correct. I think yeah. that's probably the most, um, most used or certainly most recognized. Yeah. Uh, the professor called that the mother of co cognitive biases on the last episode. And it's interesting that, I mean, when you, when you do research or when we look at statistics, I think that that's very obvious, right? We try, we, we're oftentimes looking for data to support what we already know or what we already want to convey. Uh, I guess that's another way of, 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 of the confirmation bias showing its, its, uh, its face. And another one that I thought was interesting is the bias bias, meaning that we, we can see bias, cognitive biases in others, but it's very difficult to see them in ourselves. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that is uh, interesting from a coaching perspective, right? That you can help someone see uh, or identify that they actually are acting <laughs> out of conclusions made by uh, maybe a bias and, and not the, the best rational solution or, or decision there. And, and I guess some of the, we didn't talk too much on the last episode with, with uh, Kerry about all the different biases. He mentioned a few, uh, but I think there are some in selling that are particularly interesting, uh, like the anchoring bias, where uh, when we come to discussing price, right, the, the one who sort of anchors the price first uh, creates that anchor in the head where from which we then communicate uh, either down or up. And I, I think that's an interesting um, bias that affects salespeople in, in, in many ways. What, what do you think about this from a management perspective? Like what, what can, how can, let's take the confirmation bias. How do you, how do we think that managers can be tripped up by the confirmation bias? Well, look, I think at the end of the day, people like to be right uh -huh. and, and they don't like to be wrong. And I think a lot of this, um, a lot of the biases have to do with and sort of supporting our ego and, and trying to avoid pain or change or uncertainty. And, you know, as a, as a rep, as a manager, as a leader, you're trying to constantly look to improve yourself and your team. And the most important thing to do is sort of introspection, right? Try to understand yeah. who you are, try to understand what your biases are. That certainly is 
something we all need to do as, as a race, as, a, as, a, as human beings. We need to understand where our biases lie. It's really hard, actually, to have a coach who doesn't have the ability to look at oneself and then to take their feedback and, and try and res, you know, respect and understand that, that, that this is somebody who's going to mentor me. So for me, in looking at great coaches, great coaches have to have, I, I'd say, the, the wherewithal, the, 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 the time, the energy to have done the work for themselves. So, you know, when we look for great trainers, great managers, great coaches, great leaders, we're looking for people who work. So I don't want somebody to preach how I'm supposed to close a deal or how I'm supposed to connect with people or how I'm supposed to face, um, you know, this kind of event if they haven't done it themselves. So, you know, if, if I have a leader that is stuck with confirmation bias and is more interested in being right all the time, that person will probably not be very successful within room DNA. They probably won't be that successful elsewhere. So it's really yeah. important that, look, as you said, there are tons of different biases, right? There are hundreds of different biases, and they're called all kinds of things. You'll see a lot of psychology books study yeah. this stuff. One of the beauties of Ring DNA and why I really got into the idea of recording calls, analyzing calls, and demonstrations was as a therapist, one of the most powerful tools we had was in my early days, my supervisor would videotape my sessions. Yeah. I would then watch myself and how I behaved during a session with a client. And I was able to discover I twitches when certain material came up. I would project into the client. I, I would do all of these things. And what I realized yeah. was the ability to sort of analyze oneself, to have somebody you Trust also looking at that game film with you, pointing out things, not in a way of shaming you, but really pointing out patterns that you have and trying to be helpful. Yeah. That, kind of, that kind of coach or leader that is disarming, is able to also use examples of when they may have done that, is what really helps sales reps, managers, individual contributors. It helps everybody. And I think it helps us as people. Certainly helps me as a father to talk with my kids about mistakes I've made and what I learned from them rather than preaching at them, trying to, you know, tell them how to do it. Definitely. Yeah. I think confirmation bias is interesting from a management perspective and I've, I've, I'm a, a victim or, or a, a perpetrator of this myself in the past that you, you create a first impression of an individual mm -hmm. and then that that can be hard to shake you have then you have this perception that you created usually far too quickly uh, and then you might be taking decisions or judging that individual based on those those initial uh, uh, conclusions you made uh, although that individual grows right so you have to always continually change your view of each individual, but the confirmation bias can, can sort of create a, a problem there if you still have that first impression that, uh, that lives in your head and might not have been a good one, for instance. 
Uh, so uh, yeah, we need. I think being aware of these cognitive biases are really important. It's really important. Yeah, and that 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 first impression is so important. We try to teach sales reps how important that is. So you know that 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 opening line when you start mm -hmm. a conversation is incredibly powerful. People, this is like that. It's the crocodile yep. brain, right? So exactly. you know, you know, should they fear this person? Or is this a threat? Um, is the person coming across as too intellectual and I, I may not be able to relate, I'll feel stupid. All of those sort of things are in play. And as a sales rep, you have that moment and that moment is so important to make that connection. So if you're on Zoom, look the person in the eye, you know, relate to that person, ask the person open questions so that they don't feel you as a threat. Because if my bias turns on immediately, it's really hard. Once that, once you've made that choice, you're done. Another really interesting one, sort of the Parkinson's uh, law of, of triviality, that that is in sales. It's the idea that people focus on just the most trivial, ridiculous things and not get into the depth. And why is that? Because a lot of times, a rep will have these grand ideas and they're selling a platform or something really complicated and they're talking to somebody who is stuck on the most trivial piece of data yeah. and they keep just going like it doesn't matter. That's an example yeah. of a bias that your buyer has and you need to address it. Okay, this is, this is the issue. I understand it's really important to you, but if I go over it like it's just trivial to me, yeah. I'm not connected. So those are the sort of biases in the sales process that are so critical to pick up on. Yes, I think that's a great point you're making now that the, the, these biases are in all humans, right? So it's not just in the salespeople and the sales managers, it's just as much prevalent in, in the buyers. Uh, and and every, all the buyers on, the, on a buying committee can come to the table with different biases, right? That's Some right. are very risk averse and uh, they have the sunk cost syndrome, which is interesting as well. They've probably invested time and money into something else that you're trying to replace. Uh, and that can be a really big change for people to make. Uh, so if they express that, and like you say, you just skip over it, well, that's a big mistake. So we need to really listen to pick these things up from the buyers as well. Yeah, what, and what I think that's... Say, just a quick question on, because I mean, your background is so fascinating, having been a clinical uh, psychologist. What, what, what have you, did you sort of get from that background and the, that experience and that expertise that has been most helpful for you as a company leader? Yeah, I, I think you mentioned something really interesting, which is the bias of uh, of change, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the the mere fact that change is is something we're all afraid of. I think we most as much as we want to think people want to change, people are risk averse. They, they, yeah. That that is a really big thing to understand. People don't want to change as much and want to change if they see a tremendous value in change, right? So people come into therapy and they start with identified issue. My husband's the problem. My wife is mm -hmm. the problem. My children are driving me to eat. I, I drink too much. She yells at me, whatever. It, that, that is the identified problem 
they present with. So they mm-hmm. present with that problem and it's usually somebody else or somebody's yeah. pushed them into therapy. If you start with saying, listen, you have to change everything about everything you do to be a better husband, to be a better wife, what, that's not going to work. You, you have to sort of meet your patient. You have to meet your prospect where they are. If you just blow by them and we're going to change everything about your business and we're going to change everything about how you do what you do, that immediately is a threat and it's an overwhelming threat. So rather than projecting what you think your client or your customer needs, you need to spend time listening to them. You need to ask questions. You need to find out where they come from. You need to understand the narrative, what they're telling themselves about their situation. So then and only then can you help them craft a better version of themselves. Because if I buy something, it means I have to change. If I change something, that could create a problem. I have to see enough positive from the change, enough opportunity to want to make that change So you need to figure out what that looks like for the individual. Too often sales reps, sales managers think that they know what their customer needs or wants because they've seen it before. Oh, it looks like this. They're missing the point. Everybody is not the same. Certain patterns, but you have to understand that individual. And then you can talk to them and then you can help influence change. And I think that, whether it's therapy, whether it's a buyer, whether it's any relationship, open-ended questions, understand the situation that people are in, what their biases are, help them to see their own biases, help them to see the desired state, but it needs to be about their process and their timeline. Yeah. And I think uh, research has has proven or shown that we also are we value solving a problem more than we value uh, achieving a solution, um, which is also interesting. And I guess that's why selling for so long has been talking about you have to identify the problem and fix the problem. Um, but I think it's 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 both ways, right? You you need to yes identify the problem, but you also need, like you said, have the the future outcome that is much better than your current situation in order to get both a push and a pull in, in, in the right uh, direction in, with a solution that includes you, hopefully, as the seller. Yeah, yeah, and I, sorry to interrupt, but I get really excited. That's, that's basically it, right? There is a structure that, that, that reps need to follow, which is there's a problem, it needs to be solved, right? You need to understand that from the prospect or customer's perspective. Yep. You try to solve it before doing something, maybe your current solution, maybe a previous solution. That, that hasn't worked. You failed with that. You have a solution or approach that has worked, that has solved that problem for a bunch of other customers, names you know, people who are successful. This is where the process of talking about customer testimonials, having case studies, having valid proof. We're no longer about tell me about something. We're a show me society. So show me the proof. And by doing that, that's how you help influence change. Mm -hmm. 
and reduce risk, right? Because we are risk averse, as you mentioned. So if, if you could prove me to me that you have helped someone that is respectable, uh, well, that reduces risk for me. But I think also it depends on what you're selling, right? And, and which cognitive biases that you will bump into. I mean, we, we are selling against uh, the large names in the industry. So there's a big, like the bandwagon effect is something that I, I, I found was an interesting uh, cognitive bias that we, we tend to do like other people do that we've seen being successful. So if, if everyone is using system A, system A must be good. So I should go get system A. Uh, and uh, but system A maybe it was designed ten years ago, and the problems you have now weren't there ten years ago. So maybe system A isn't that good, even though everyone is using system A. So that is also uh, something that I believe we we might have different cognitive biases that we need to know that we're sort of fighting against uh, in our bias, depending on what it is we're selling. Like if we are the if we are the big brand then we are helped by the bandwagon effect, for instance, because people will want to buy our solutions be because everyone else is using it. It feels safe, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if we're the incumbent, well, all of a sudden it's, we're, we're, it's an uphill battle. We now have to explain why everyone on the bandwagon are actually on the wrong, <laughs> on the wrong machine going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, but, but to your point, I think Look, I, I've always been the incumbent in just about everything I've done. And that, you know, it's been called challenger. It's been incumbent. I think it goes back to, first of all, helping your prospect understand that that bias is at work because no one wants to hear they're on the bandwagon, right? It's like, no. oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a New England Patriot fan. You've just jumped on the bandwagon. Or, or, you know, you're a Laker fan now, you're on the bandwagon. So I think helping people understand that, is that bias actually at play here? Are you just jumping on the bandwagon? Why is that not a good idea? Well, let's talk about what you're trying to achieve. Again, it's sure, there are people using that and, and that's super exciting that, that that's the winning solution. But what I really care about is you and your desired state. So let's talk and let's build a relationship and understand who you are and what you're trying to achieve. And yes, there are a bunch of biases at play. Let's talk about those biases and then let's set up a framework. What are the criteria for you to make a decision? Because if you set up that framework, there's balances, there's looking at what is it you're actually trying to achieve and what are the decisions that you need to achieve to make this decision? Because you don't really want to be the guy making that, oh, everybody else is doing it decision, do you? So it's really pointing out the biases and that's what's really powerful. Yeah, it really is. And in order to get there, uh, I guess we need to first understand that the biases are there and which ones are at play in our sales environment, right? That's super fascinating. And you mentioned, um, recording calls and listening to, to, to yourself, reflecting on your own performance. Mm -hmm. um, have, you, have you seen that uh, be done in this context? Maybe not express, expressing cognitive bias as such, but listening in on where a salesperson, for instance, is missing how a buyer communicates something that could be a big hurdle or where a manager is uh, 
not coaching correctly and you can pick that up and you can help them pick them up. I mean, can you talk a bit on how, how you find that using um, recorded calls in an effective way? Yes, absolutely. So uh, RingDNA does just that. So RingDNA looks at every part of the sales process. So whether it's a phone call, an email, an SMS message, we've recorded over 200 million phone calls and then applied learning models and artificial intelligence to actually surface those very moments. So surface moments where the rep is in fact not asking enough open-ended questions. They're talking over the customer. They're not using those opening lines that we know are so successful. They're not asking the right questions at the right time. We, we've applied things from attention bias to ambiguity affirmation bias, projection bias. All of those are built into the tool and we surface those so that the rep can then receive the coaching. The managers can look at it. They can see where in fact they did that or they missed that. That's the whole point of it. So it's taking all of these conversation techniques, all of these biases, and then looking at the outcomes. So when you didn't recognize the confirmation bias in your prospect or customer X number of times, in fact, you didn't close that deal. So then you can train them based on the outcome as well as the information that comes out of these recordings. So using artificial intelligence, you're able to surface all of this for those coaching moments. It's incredibly powerful. Would be fun to see uh, the the number of occasions these different biases that you have identified and built in uh, are are being exposed, so to speak, or being being brought up to the surface. See some stats on that. The truth is, there's always biases, right? Yeah, so all the time. Yeah. The question is, how do you address the biases? When you address the biases, or do you address the biases at all? The first and most important thing is training, teaching, coaching your reps that there are biases all over the place. Once you start coming at a conversation or a relationship, understanding those biases, both your own and your prospect, you're a far better communicator. And that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Carrie talked to that in their research, they, uh, they, try to unbias us as as people <laughs> and and uh, he was uh, and or they were positively surprised that they are they're, they're actually showing that they are able to do so quite quite effectively and uh, the most effective way he shared was that when using a game that they developed so that, i mm-hmm. found that pretty fascinating so they um basically train people in identifying or, or teaching them about the biases, then showing them a situation where this happened, and then uh, showing them a situation where they had to make a decision. And based on the, the learnings, uh, they could then make a more rational or better decision because they were now aware of, of the cognitive bias. So it's it's obvious, obvi- obviously so that we can improve uh, in identifying and, and uh, improving our, our communication. And I think another aspect of this is that in, in the complex B2B sale, it's not one person we're communicating with, right? It's always going to be a number of people involved, and you're not always talking to them at the same time. So there's a, a whole level of added complexity there when you have more people involved. Yeah, and, and there certainly is. And, and trying to understand where groupthink is taking over or yeah. a mob mentality, trying to figure out who 
um, amongst those influencers, economic decision makers, has biases and what those biases are, making sure that you those both on the individual basis and then within the group and when is it appropriate to address the individual issue as opposed to how it's impacting the group. It's fairly complex, but that's why a complex sale really involves understanding all of your key stakeholders. Yeah. What drives them? What is that outcome that they're looking to achieve? Because if you just do it for one or two, you're missing the whole picture and that one detractor could blow your sale. So yep. is incredibly exciting if you get into the people aspect, because what you're really dealing with is people. Understand what moves people, what change is acceptable, what is going to cause pain. And as a sales rep, you have to navigate all that. You have to understand that. And that's why the game of sales is so exciting. <laughs> I agree. It's, it's fascinating. And I think that the depth of this is what makes it really fascinating. And I think a lot of people who are not, who are not in sales, uh, they might not know how, how exciting this profession actually is because they, th there's, and that's what I write about a bit in my book that we have these assumptions uh, about selling that are simply untrue. Uh, it's really a fascinating profession that, and we can become so much better at it uh, with pretty small means. But yeah, no, this is a fascinating topic and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with me. Um, so for people who want to learn more about you and about what you do and maybe especially how they could use um, technology to pick up on these cognitive biases uh, in their salespeople's uh, conversations with buyers, where do they go? Uh, well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so uh, LinkedIn Howard Brown, uh, ringdna.com, uh, reach out to me. Um, I, I love having these sort of conversations. I love talking to people. I love learning. I love finding out about my own biases. I really appreciate the great work you're doing. Um, you're helping the whole community. You're bringing really deep, um, important subject matter to uh, to to uh, the, the community and, and I'm incredibly grateful. So thank you for having me. Thank you very much for those kind words. It's a, it's a pleasure and our mission is to elevate the sales profession. So we'll continue doing that as, as, as good as we can. So thanks again, see you soon. I hope people will reach out and uh, get to know you and the company better. Thank you so much.